Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible, and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm Jared Brummett, audio engineer and editor, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. In this episode, we're diving into the next installment of our study in Philippians. Rob delivered this message at the World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. As always, we would like to invite you to visit robertjmorgan.com, where you'll find Rob's blog post, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Oh, thank you. Please be seated. And I want to encourage you to get one of those books. Mine came yesterday in the mail, Big Trouble Ahead by Pastor, and I started reading it and could hardly put it down. I was surprised at how relevant it was to what I'm going through. And so I praise the Lord for that book. And, you know, we are going through troubled times. And many times we're troubled. And in my own life and experience, the last few months have been not so very easy. The last few years haven't been so very easy. This coming Sunday, which is August 28th, 828, as in Romans 828, would be my 46th wedding anniversary. My wife is in heaven, so she'll celebrate up there. And I'll celebrate down here, actually in Tulsa, because that's where I'll be preaching. And it will be my 45th anniversary as a pastor, because we began on our first wedding anniversary in that church. But recently, I've had to make a lot of decisions. You can't continue to do everything. And how do you go through life and everything that you give up? There is some loss there. And there is a lot of grief, and then there are family problems, there are financial problems. I mean, we all have problems in life. But there is a verse that has been very encouraging to me, and I want to share that with you. I'm going to quote it to you, and then we'll look at it together. But it says simply, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, all these things will turn out for my deliverance. And that's Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18. And that's our study for tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to this wonderful verse. I want to give you a little background to it. The Apostle Paul had planned at the end of his third missionary journey to go right on to Rome and then to Spain. I've talked about this before with you. But he ended up being arrested in Jerusalem and he spent two years in Caesarea in prison and another two years under house arrest in Rome. And So the church in Philippi sent him a gift, and he was writing to them to thank them for that gift. 
and that's how we got the book of Philippians. Well, the Apostle Paul had faced some real discouragement and disappointment and all of that, but he had a joyful, upbeat attitude. And let's begin reading here in verse number 18, and I want to read through verse 21 with you. He is writing to explain to the Philippians that even though he had gone through a very difficult spell in his life, he had been imprisoned first in Jerusalem, then in Caesarea, then in Rome, yet in spite of all of that, things had turned up for the furtherance of the gospel. So beginning right in the middle of verse 18, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. That's his testimony. Now, I just want to take that verse 18, really the last half of the verse, and let's dissect it. That's the context that gives you the background and why it was that we have this verse. But look at the first phrase. Yes, he says, and I will continue to rejoice. Here's a man who's had five years of difficulty, legal problems, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a snake, he had a lot of people who deserted him, but he says, yes, I'm going to continue to rejoice because he knew that rejoicing was something that we choose to do. It is an attitude that we can make up our minds to cultivate and the Bible tells us all the way through to rejoice. That's one of the themes of this book of Philippians. 16 times Paul talks about joy and rejoicing in this letter. I read a book the other day, a portion of a book. It wasn't a Christian book, but it was a book on developing joy. And again, not by Christians, but what they said here I think was very relevant. The writer said, joy is a high-energy state for the brain. The practice of joy builds brain strength and the capacity to engage life with energy, creativity, and endurance. In fact, the capacity for the brain to engage in every intense or difficult aspect of life develops out of joy. High-joy people are very resilient. High-joy people are very resilient. High joy communities are interjected and productive even in hard times. I think that's one of the secrets for this church. This is a high joy community. So you're effective and productive even in hard times. When we are empowered with joy, we are better able to suffer, to withstand pain, and to maintain relationships intact. Well, the Bible said that a long time ago. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So inside of you, there's a little engine, and the fuel for that engine is joy. 
And when there is joy inside of you, it produces energy. When you see a joyful person, they are much more enthusiastic. So we have to cultivate joy. The writer of the Psalms, Psalm 118, said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will. I'll make this resolution. I'm going to make up my mind. I'm going to determine this. I'm going to choose my attitude here. And so I'm going to rejoice. So this is exactly what we have to do. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Some of us have gone through this day and we haven't rejoiced very much. If you're like me, I've done some complaining today. And complaining and muttering and murmuring is sort of the opposite of joy. So I have to say, Lord, flush out my radiator and fill it full of joy because I want to be able to operate and drive down the road of life effectively and productively. And that requires the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Now, joy comes from knowledge. So look at the verse again. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know. Do you see that? Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know. The Apostle Paul knew something. He was aware of something. He had been thinking about this and pondering it and meditating upon it, and he had knowledge that some people in the world and some people around him didn't have. He knew something that Emperor Nero didn't know. He knew something that the Praetorian Guard didn't know. He knew something that all of the rich people of Rome who were around him while he was under house arrest, they didn't know it. He knew something special. He knew the Word of God. He knew Romans 8.28, which he had written some years before. For I know, we know, that all things work together for good to those who are in Christ Jesus, who are doing his will and following his plan of righteousness and fulfilling their plan for his plan for their lives. We know that these things work out together. He said, I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that, and he knew that because of the prayers of the Philippians and other Christians, and because of the Holy Spirit's provision, he knew that everything was going to work out for his good. When we know the scriptures, then it is that knowledge that produces within us joy. It is truth that produces joy. It's not just some emotion that we have. It is an attitude that is based upon truth, and the truth comes from Scripture. So if you need joy in your life, then find some truths from the Bible and build it there. Psalm 19 says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. In other words, the verses in the Bible, every one of them, each one is true, and it gives joy to the heart. Psalm 119, your statutes are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. 
Jeremiah the prophet, who often was downcast and dismal. We call him the weeping prophet, and he was surrounded by a crumbling culture, and he had a lot of tragedy in his life, and he faced danger. But he said, your words were found, and I ate them, and they became unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. If you're surrounded by a crumbling culture, and you're in danger, or things aren't going well in your life, then find words from the Scripture and eat them, and they will become unto you the joy and the rejoicing of your heart. Jesus said to the disciples on the night before he was crucified, these things I have said to you so that you might have joy and that your joy might be complete. So Paul said, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know. Now, we draw our emotions from the things that we feel, but we base our attitudes on the things that we know. Are you familiar with that principle? We base our feelings, our emotions, on the things that we feel, but our attitudes, such as joy, we base those on what we know. And we know what the Bible says, and we know that what the Bible says is true, and the more we dwell there, meditate on it, think about it, and eat these words and digest them, then that is the production of joy in our lives. So he says here, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know. Now, specifically, what did he know? He says, look at the verse again, verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers, he knew that the Philippians had been praying for him. Now, they were about 800 miles away. He was in Rome under house arrest in prison, facing a hearing before the imperial court. And they were in Philippi in what we call today Northern Greece. And maybe it wasn't a very large church. We don't know the size of it, but when it was established in Acts chapter 16, there were a few people and they met in the house of Lydia. I'm sure that they had multiplied and grown some since then, but probably no more than is in this room. And in that vast Roman city, these Christians would gather and they would pray for their missionary who was under arrest in the imperial guard of Rome. And Paul said, I know you're praying for me. I can feel them. I can sense them. There's something about your prayers that zips across the miles and gives me strength. And that's the power of intercession. Now, he had said earlier, I am praying for you. He said, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you will choose the things that are right and that you'll be discerning and come to know the Lord better and proclaim his message and stand firm. That's what I'm praying for you. But now he says, you're praying for me and your prayers are making a difference because of your prayers, I'm going to be delivered. All of this is going to work out for my good, whether I live or die. It's going to work out because you are praying for me. It is so important for us to be prayed for and to pray 
for others. A man that I've learned a lot about this from, he's in heaven, I never met him, but his name was James O. Frazier. J. O. Frazier. He was a missionary in China. He went to China when he was 22 years of age, and he developed a keen belief in prayer. There are a couple of biographies of him, and I have both of them, and I've just ordered a third because his life to me is very amazing. But when he was 22, he would wake up early in the morning. He was a newcomer in China, hadn't yet learned the language, but he would get up and he would go for a walk, and he had different places where he walked, depending upon the weather, and he would pray. And one of the places was a hilltop. And the writer, his biographer said, that from that hilltop he would look down at the city, the town in which he was ministering, and he would just pace back and forth, and he often had a hymn book in his hand. And he would sing hymns, and then he would take the verse of the hymn and pray it for that town, just as though he were talking to a friend, praying out loud, walking back and forth on that hilltop, praying for his friend, or for his town, or for his friends. And that's a very good thing to do. If you want to pray for somebody with keen intercessory prayer, then just find an empty room. It might be your bedroom, or it could be your living room if nobody's at home, or maybe your back porch, or your backyard, and just walk back and forth and talk to the Lord on behalf of that person. Say out loud, say, Lord, I want to pray for so-and-so. And maybe you use the words of a hymn. When I was growing up, we had a hymn that said, send a great revival to my soul. Send a great revival to my soul. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control and send a great revival to my soul. I remember singing that so many times in church. So sometimes I'll just pace back and forth and I'll say, Lord, send a great revival to her soul. Let the Holy Spirit come and take control and send a great revival to her soul. And I'll use the words of hymns to pray out loud for somebody, just pacing back and forth, or maybe the words of Scripture. You can often pray words of Scripture. You can convert them for somebody else. Lord, be his shepherd today. May he recognize that if you're his shepherd, he has all of his needs provided for. Lead him in paths of righteousness. Even if he goes through a dark valley, Lord, may he know that you are with him, that your rod and staff are comforting him. Lord, cause the blessings to overflow in his life, and may goodness and mercy follow him every day. May he dwell in your house for And just pray that 23rd Psalm for somebody. Try just walking back and forth, praying out loud, talking to the Lord like you'd talk to a friend, and interceding for somebody else. The Philippians had been doing that for Paul. And it wasn't just some exercise in futility. It had power. It was efficacious. It was effective. It was zipping through the universe, hitting the throne of God and bouncing back to him there in that cell, and he knew something was happening. 
So he says, look at the verse again, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers, look at the next phrase, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I cannot get that phrase off of my mind. I've been thinking about it for two or three weeks. God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Notice the entire Trinity is in that phrase. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father's provision of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And this brings us to the teaching about the Holy Spirit, which is so important. And the simplest thing that I know to say to you about it, there are two aspects. Number one has to do with Jesus himself. Now, Jesus was, is, and always will be almighty God, the omnipotent creator of the universe, the sustainer of all there is in the spiritual and in the physical realms. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 says about Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And yet, God the Son, Jesus, became a human being as well. So he was both God and man, and when he entered into the world as a baby, we don't understand all about it because it's mysterious, but he temporarily relinquished some of his prerogatives so that in his humanity, he didn't necessarily possess the omniscience that was intrinsically his as God. Because as God, he knew everything. God knows the temperature of every particle of every star in the universe. He knows everything that always has been, ever will be. He knows it intuitively. He knows it instantly. He knows it perfectly. He knows it totally. He knows everything. And yet, Luke says that the boy of Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. He went to school and he learned the alphabet and he learned to read. And so in some way, he laid aside temporarily the prerogatives of his omniscience. He laid aside the prerogatives of his omnipotence so that he could not do miracles and things by his own power because he was here as a man. So then, if that is true, how did he know what to say? How did he know what to do? How did he experience all that he needed to experience in order to tell us and do for us everything that he said and he did? Well, it occurred, something very wonderful and mysterious, at his baptism. So Luke chapter 3, verse 21 says, when all of the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form as a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. 
we have the Trinity again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, and he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. So Jesus, from that point on, would attribute his words and his power to God the Father through the Holy Spirit who had baptized him when he had been baptized with water at the Jordan River. For example, in John chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus said, Very truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing by himself. The Son, referring to himself, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. He said in John 12, 49, For I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. What I say is just what the Father told me to say. It was the Father working through him by means of the Holy Spirit who had baptized him. He said in John 14, 40, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. I mean, that's why Jesus said, I'm not doing this in my own power. It is the Father living in me who's doing this work. And in John 14, 24, he said, these words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. How did he do it? By the Holy Spirit. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And from that point on, the words that he spoke and the things that he did were the empowering of the Father by means of the Holy Spirit. And the first sermon that he preached after that baptism in Luke's gospel was in Nazareth. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has appointed me to preach the gospel. Jesus said, I have now been anointed baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he did was the outworking of the Spirit. He says in Matthew 12, 28, it is by the Spirit that I drive out demons. He said in John 3, 34, for the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives him the Spirit without measure. And Acts chapter 10 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil for God the Father was with him. So this is the mystery of Jesus. Now when he ascended back to heaven, he resumed his place on the throne. He embraced all of his prerogatives. When we see him, when we get to heaven, he'll be omniscient, he'll be omnipotent, he'll be totally God. But for that 33 year period, he relinquished some of that, and it was God the Father working through him 
by means of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a correlating truth to that. The correlating truth is that just as God the Father baptized Jesus of Nazareth with the Spirit of the Jordan River, so Jesus Christ has in turn baptized his church with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So what happened to Jesus at the baptism happens also to us. And just as God the Father lived his life through the Son by means of the Holy Spirit, so Jesus Christ wants to live his life through us by means of the Holy Spirit. And just as God the Father spoke his words through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, so Jesus wants to speak his words through us by the Holy Spirit. And just as God the Father did wonderful things through Jesus by the Holy Spirit, so the Lord Jesus wants to do wonderful things through us by the Holy Spirit. And it isn't what we do or say for the Lord Jesus, it is what he does and says through us by the Holy Spirit. That is God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that Paul was depending on. Now, I said that this coming Sunday was, would have been my wedding anniversary. My wife, Katrina, was tremendously influenced when she was a young lady by Major Ian Thomas, who was a great British Bible teacher. And I've been going back and listening to some of the Major's sermons, and they're really amazing. But I want to quote to you a couple of the paragraphs because these struck my wife with tremendous force when she was a young adult. Major Thomas said, in the upper room, Jesus told his disciples, I am going back to the place from which I came, back to the one from whom I came, my father, and because I'm going back to my father, the day will soon dawn when I indwelling you by the same Holy Spirit through whom the Father now indwells me will do through you the things my Father is now doing by the Spirit through me. That's exactly what I'm saying. And Major Thomas said, so the Christian life, of course, I love this quotation. So the Christian life, of course, is the life that Christ lived then, lived now by him in us. Did you get that? Now, he had quite a way of putting things. You have to listen to him twice. He said, so the Christian life, of course, is the life that Christ lived then, lived now, by him in us, and there is no other. And if your Christian life does not derive from the fact that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, has come to take occupation in your humanity and become in you the origin of his own image and the source of his own activity and the dynamic of his own demands and the cause of his own effects, then you have become a Christian, but you are not yet living fully like a Christian. We need the provision of God's Spirit. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And this is why the epistles are so full of the Holy Spirit. The apostles knew that just as God the Father had worked through Jesus Christ and spoken through him by means of the Holy Spirit, so Jesus Christ wants to do the same through us by means of the Holy Spirit. We can't live the Christian life, but he can live it through us. We can't speak with power, but he can do it through us. We can't do good deeds, 
that will change other people's lives, but he can do them through us. And this is why Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We overflow with hope, but it's God doing it through Jesus Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. That's the work, the way that it works. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And listen to 2 Corinthians three eighteen, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's as we get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit work within us that the image of Jesus Christ is formed in our own experience. He invades our personality. He occupies us and he does his work and speaks his word and cultivates his character within us. And so the Apostle Paul says, so walk in the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The book of Galatians says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And it says in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the Apostle Paul here is taking all of this up, putting it into that one phrase, concentrated truth, in which he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice because of your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the final phrase. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This is Romans 8.28. It's all going to work out. The things we're struggling with, the failures that we encounter, the emotions that we try to subdue, all of the things that make our days more difficult, all of it is going to turn out for our good, for our deliverance. And he goes on to say, I believe here I am on trial before the imperial court and everything is going to turn out all right because you are praying for me and I have the provision from God of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Prayers from above or prayers from below and the spirit from above. So it's all going to turn out. He goes on to say, now that doesn't mean that I'm going to be released. I may die. It's all right. I don't know which I would rather choose. To live as Christ and to die as gain. If I die, I'll go be with Christ and that's far better. But if I live, and I think I will, then I'll remain and just give myself to further service for you. But in any case, 
the Lord will be glorified and I will be delivered. We cannot lose. With Jesus Christ, we cannot, you cannot lose. And that's this wonderful verse. So what do we need to take away from it? Well, make up your mind to rejoice based upon what you know, which is based upon what God has said. And then find someone for whom to pray. And thirdly, yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. If there's anything blocking or grieving or quenching the Spirit in your life, then confess it, get it out of the way, and recognize as Major Ian Thomas said, I'll quote him one more time, all there is of God is available to the person who is available to all there is of God. All there is of God is available to the person who is available to all there is of God. And it begins at the cross. And if you have never asked him to be your savior, then that's the starting place. And that's something for you to do tonight, right here in this room or wherever you are watching online. You might be listening in your car or you might be watching in your living room or bedroom or kitchen. But the Lord is speaking to you and you know that you need to receive Christ as your savior. Well, you can do that simply by saying, Lord, I now confess my sins and acknowledge that the risen Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he is my Lord. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe you need someone to pray for you. Caleb will be here at the front and he'll be glad to come and pray with you. You can come and pray with him. Anyone here who needs someone to pray with you, then there'll be people here at the front and they can pray with you. But let's make sure that we leave here with this text in our mind. So I'll give it to you one more time. Yes. And I will continue to rejoice because I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out, will turn out for my deliverance. Will you stand please as we close in prayer? And now, dear Lord, we all need for your work to take place in our lives, but may we be channels of the Holy Spirit, channels only, blessed Master. And with all thy wondrous power flowing through us, you can use us every day and every hour. And may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Equip us with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.